<clears throat> Romans chapter 5. God is good. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Okay, beginning with verse 1. If you're there, say, Praise the Lord. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hopeth make, hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. But when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified. By his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Say, shall be saved. <clears throat> and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all, for that all have sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one man many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many, and not as it was by one that sinned. So is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came, upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gifts came unto all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through light righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask you a blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. Thank you for inspiration, God, tonight, today, to anoint us to preach your word. We give you all the glory and honor that you deserve. 
Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> okay, chapter 5, if you look at verse 1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith. There it says we are already justified by faith. Then verse 9, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So when we come to the fifth chapter, the fifth chapter through the eighth chapter, what God is showing us is that we have a security in God. We have a security in God as far as the final judgment is concerned. There is going to be a final judgment and everybody will stand before the Lord on that day and give account, hallelujah, on that judgment day. But the Scripture is telling us here because we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. It talks about, though, in the light of our present justification, we shall be saved. Amen. Verse 9, we shall be saved. So Paul is showing us that no matter what you go through, because you have the love of God shed abroad in your, holy, in, in your heart by the Holy Ghost, because the Spirit of God is in you, then you are secure as far as your salvation is concerned when you stand before Him in the future. So God is using Paul to encourage us through difficult times. Now, and then we get to chapter 6, and Paul's going to talk about something, though, that can derail that security, and that's called sin. So it's very important for us to understand these chapters. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So justified means we have a right relationship we're in right standing with God. That is a judicial thing. Okay? It is a free gift from God by grace to us based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. We talked about when that happens. That's at our conversion or the new birth. Is everybody clear on that? Okay? So judicially, judicially, I stand in the presence of God today justified in the eyes of God. I'm in a right relationship with God based on what He did for me, and there is security in that. And that security points all the way to the final justification when I stand before Him on Judgment Day because I'm justified and I live for Him, then I will have that promise of eternal life in the future. Again, though, there is something that can derail that. It's very important for you to understand. Something can derail that. It's called sin. And then chapter 7, another thing that can derail that security is called the law. So we're going to talk about those things this morning. Verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Say peace. When you talk about peace in relationship to a nation, that has to do with the cessation of war. If a nation is in peace, that means that nation is not in war. When you talk about peace in relationship to an individual, that means there is no disturbance in that person's life. No disturbance in that person's life. Well, when the Bible talks about we have peace with God, what an awesome thing that is. That God can look at you and look at me and say, I am no longer at war with you. I am no longer locating you in my wrath. Where I'm at war with your life because you have been justified based on what Jesus Christ has done 
Now God, instead of being at war with you, can be at peace with you. See, in the Old Testament, when God talked about peace, okay, you with me here? It has to, it relates to the kingdom of God. And it is a position that God puts us in. It's a position of peace. In the Old Testament and the New Testament as, as well, it's either the sword of God or it's the peace of God. God is at war with you today or God is not at war with you today. You have the sword of judgment hanging over your head or you have the peace of God that's been given you through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the peace of God, what an awesome word that is. That means that God is no longer seeking to destroy you or kill you because of your sin. His wrath has been appeased uh, upon the cross in Jesus Christ. Now people today, they have power maybe, they have position, they have wealth. But they don't have peace. You can have all of those things. You can have power, you can have position, you can have money. But if you don't have peace, what do you have? The Bible says, giving us a promise here that we have peace with God. What an awesome thing that is that God would say in a kingdom way that we have peace. It's sort of like the picture Ezekiel gives about the sheep laying on the hilltops, resting in the green grass. It's a picture of tranquility and peace. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has brought peace to us. We're like sheep on a mountaintop in green grass enjoying tranquility and peace, not afraid of the shepherd trying to destroy us or kill us. Amen? And so it's an awesome word to know that we have peace with God. There was a man by the name of uh, Napoleon. He said, life is a boredom. It's nothing but a boredom. You know why he said that? Because he didn't have no peace in his heart. There are people today who commit suicide. Successful people. Successful people commit suicide. You know why successful people commit suicide? Because they don't have peace in their heart. They're trying to find that answer in life. It's called peace. They're looking for peace. You can have all kinds of things. You can have position and power and money and all of that. But if you don't have peace today, you're suicidal. You don't have a reason to live. And so when we look at this, the Bible says God has given us peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access. Look at this word, access. Or an introduction. Because we have peace... We have an introduction, or we have access to what? By faith into this grace. Because we have peace, we have an introduction into grace. Now that is an awesome word right here, because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, the sword pierced His side. He took my place and your place, therefore I have peace today, and that peace of God, that work of Jesus Christ, literally gives me access. That's an introduction. So what happens is, it's like a person standing on the outside, and somebody runs and gets them, and brings them into the presence of the king. There's an access, or there's an introduction that takes place. And that's what the peace of God has done for you. It literally goes out and gets you by the hand, in the foyer and brings you into the presence of royalty, the King of Kings, into the presence of grace. And we know who that is. It's Jesus Christ. In fact, sometimes when people come to the presence of royalty, they'll say, His grace? 
So Jesus Christ is the grace of God personified. He's the one that is sitting on the throne and it's the peace of God that introduces you to Him. It's the peace of God that gives you access to Him. The word access here also means another thing. Very interesting. It's a picture of a ship that's out in the storm. It's out, the, the, the sea is raging. The wind is blowing. And the, this ship is being battered. And then all of a sudden, it has an introduction. That means it has an access. It moves into the harbor. And when it moves into the harbor, the ship that was in the storm, the waves that were blowing against it, and the heavy rains that were coming against it, when it moves in the harbor, all of a sudden, the waves subside. The wind stops blowing. The rain stops falling. And they move in the calm of the harbor. And that's what God says here that He has done through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's given you peace. He's not at war with you. He's given you access into that grace and introduction. You've literally been brought in the presence of His grace royalty. You've been brought out of the storms of life into the harbor of peace. It's calm and it's tranquil as far as God is concerned when He looks at you. Amen? Now I think this is interesting because when you study the Bible, and we've already looked at the ruin of man, the horrible fallen condition of man, in need of this grace, in need of this salvation, we saw his horrible condition in sin. You know, sin has many different definitions in the Word of God. Many definitions. But I'm going to give you one definition. It's not necessarily a word definition, but it's a practical understanding of what sin is. You know what sin really is when it's all said and done? I understand the words mean miss the mark, so on and so forth. But really, sin is running from God. That's what sin is. Sin is man running from God. And when we went through Romans chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 3, verse 20, we saw the fallen state of man. We saw man running from God in various sinful lifestyles through religion. Man was running from God. That's what sin is. It's man running from God. You get a man that's running from God. You get a woman that's running from God. You get a young person that's running from God. You know what oftentimes they'll say? Maybe they get old enough as a young person they move to another city. And they say when they get there, well, you know, we're here because we're just trying to get away from our family. No, they weren't just trying to get away from their family. They were trying to run from God. Let me explain what I mean by that. See, a young person says, well, I'm moving away from my home and I'm going to get my own apartment and I'm going to move into this city so I can be free. I don't like the constraints of my home or whatever, so I'm going to get away from those constraints because I want my freedom. And They run off to the big city trying to find their freedom to get rid of the constraints, they say, of their family members. But I want to tell you what the real truth is. That person is not looking for freedom from their family. They're looking for freedom from their God. They don't want the constraints or the restrictions that God brings 
to their life. That's why a lot of times when people talk to you and they say, well, you're a Christian? Why don't they want to become a Christian? You know why most people don't want to become a Christian? Because when you become a Christian, they say you have to give up your freedom to serve a God. See, if they say, if I'm going to become a Christian, I'm going to, what are they talking about? I'm going to have to give up this, and I'm going to have to give up that, and I'm going to have to give up that. And so what they're saying is, see, to become a Christian and to serve the God that you serve means I'm going to have to give up my freedom. And I don't want the restrictions. I don't want the constraint. I want to be free. I want to do what I want to do. So ultimately, sin is running from God. It's running from the constraints of God. It's saying, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. I want to cast off the restraints. I want to be free. It's not a young person running from their family. It's a young person running from their God. If I could just get away from a church and I could go somewhere else. Or maybe I could just quit going to church altogether. You know what? It didn't have anything to do with the church that they were in. What it had to do with was sin. They ran from God and they're still running from God today and they say we do it in the name of freedom. We don't want anybody controlling our life. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We don't want anybody putting restraints on us. We want to do what we want to do whenever we want to do it. So I want my freedom, so I'm going to run. And that's what sin is. It's man running from the presence of God. And they're still running today. I don't want to run. I told God last night, I said, God... I don't want you to have to get my attention. I'll give you a good example of this. There's a man by the name of Jonah. The Bible says that Jonah, you'll see the connection in just a minute. Jonah, when he had a call of God upon his life as a prophet, God told him to go and preach to Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? He ran. What was he running from? He was running from the call of God. And running from the call of God, he was running from the presence of God. And so that was sin in his life. And you know what he did? The Bible says he caught a ship going down to Tarshish. When you look at a map, Tarshish is twice as far as Nineveh was. Nineveh was only 500 miles away from where, where Jonah was. Tarshish is twice that far. And what Jonah was saying was, I want to get as far away from the call of God and God in my life. I'm going to go twice as far. And he ended up in more peril running from God and a further distance than if he would have just stayed in the will of God and went 495 miles and went and preached over there to Nineveh. But he ended up further away and he ended up in more trouble trying to run from God. And God had His number. It'll take you through the book of Jonah and I could show you the book is really not about Jonah. It's about what God does when people run. 
It's about how God sends storms and fish and, 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 and His sovereignty has people that are going to take you and throw you over the side of the boat. It's a story about how you can't run from God. You can try to run from God in your sin. You can try to escape the constraints or the call of God in your life. But God knows when you're in rebellion. Because you know what rebellion is? Rebellion is revolt against divine or human authority. Revolt against divine or human authority. It's when you and I refuse to obey God. We refuse it. And that was Jonah. He was in rebellion. He refused to obey God. He was in rebellion against divine authority. A revolt against divine authority. And as a result of that, that disobedience caused him to run. People are running today. They're so nervous. They're up and up and up and running here and there. Man, all over the place. Going from one place to another. And you can come up with all the reasons you want to. And you can try to justify why you did what you did. But in the end, it doesn't matter what you use to justify what you did. You still will be punished. The Bible says... If you read the last part of the book of Jonah, the Bible says Jonah thought he had a good reason. He justified his rebellion. You know what Jonah's reason was? He said, God, he said, I knew you were merciful, God. I knew you would forgive these people if they repented. But you see, in his mind, those people didn't deserve the ability to repent. But what I'm saying is, when he said, I knew that you were a merciful and gracious God and you will forgive the iniquity of these people, that's why I didn't want to come and preach. You see, in his mind, he came up with a real good reason as to why he ran. But God still punished him. You can come up with a really good reason to justify your run. But I promise you by the Word of the living God, and it might not be tomorrow, next week, or a month, I don't know how long it's going to be, but I promise you by the Word of God, no matter how good the reason is you come up with to justify your running, God's going to catch up with you. He'll catch up with you in the end. And the punishment will come regardless of the, de the decision or the self-justification that you have given yourself to do what you do. Sin is man's effort or a woman's effort or a young person's effort to get away from God. That's what it is. The grace of God, on the other hand, which I'm talking to you about today, which has an introduction. Based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, we have an introduction or an access into this grace. You know what grace is? Theologically, it means when God gives you the ability to do something you can't do. It's God's enabling power. That's grace. That's a theological definition of the word. 
God's enabling power. He gives you the power to do something you can't do. But let me give you grace in a way that you can understand it. Based on the Word of God and based on a ship that's been tossed into the sea and the storms of life coming into the harbor peaceful and tranquil. That's access into the grace of God. What happened to Jonah when he was running? The storms came. God sent the waves. He sent the storms. He was in the wind. He was controlling the wind. He was controlling the storms in Jonah's life because Jonah was on the run. But when a person is no longer on the run, running away from God, they experience the grace of God, that harbor where there is no storm. The grace of God then is this. It's when God intervenes in man's life seeking to be an obstacle to their self-destructive ways. It's God pursuing. Sin is man running away from God. The grace of God is God pursuing a man and putting obstacles in their way to try to stop them from destroying themselves so that there can be peace in their life. If there's no peace in your heart today, it's because you're running from God. And you and I can point the finger, we can point the finger at Bishop, we can point the finger... We can point the finger all over the place today. But ultimately what it all comes down to when we, when we say, well, we just want our freedom. You understand today when you say you want your freedom or somebody looks at you and says, I have to give up my freedom if I'm going to serve your God. They don't understand. They don't have freedom. They don't understand it. They have more turmoil, more problems that come in their life. The Holy Ghost is speaking to somebody here today. God always has a word for this house. Always has a word for this house. Always. I don't know, maybe some of you here today, it takes some people years to make that final decision of running. Maybe there's somebody here today in, your, in the back of your mind, you've been thinking about running. And you've been coming up with all the reasons why. And the ultimate one is because you want your freedom and you don't want anybody telling you what to do. All that is is your attempt to get away from God. And you know what God's going to do by His mercy and grace? He's going to get in your way. He's going to put obstacles in your way. That's His grace. Because you're self-destruction mode. You are destroying yourself. You are losing. God says, okay, I'll get in your way. I'm going to chase you. I'm going to pursue you. Even though I shouldn't, I'm still going to pursue you. Because if I don't pursue you, you're going to end up killing yourself. So really, when God justifies you, cleanses you from sin, cleanses me from sin, and I stop running from God, that's when I start having peace and tranquility in my life. Hallelujah. That's when I stop making excuses. So I, told, I told somebody not long ago, 
they have a family member that they'd love to see in the church. And this family member I know has, you know, many things in their life. Many, many things, many challenges in their life. Addictions and all kinds of challenges. But I told this sister in the Lord, I said, your, your brother, your family member is not going to come in the church until he gets rid of that independent spirit. See, your brother's, I told her, your brother's problem is not his addictions. Your brother's problem is he loves that free-spirited approach to life. The free spirit that says, I want to be a renegade. I want to do it my way. Brothers and sisters, this ain't cowboy days. This isn't Dodge City where every man is a law unto himself. Are you here today? So when we talk about this introduction into the grace of God, grace was God pursuing you before you completely and totally destroyed yourself as you were running from God. And it was the grace of God that intervened on behalf of Jonah. The grace of God that protected Jonah. The grace of God that saved him from death. The grace of God intervened on his behalf. And then he got all upset because God was going to show grace to the Ninevites. He tried to justify the reason why he wouldn't preach. But ultimately, Jonah, you're a rebellious prophet. That's what you are. You're a rebellious prophet. You have disobeyed the Word of God. You've disobeyed God's call on your life. And you have a death wish, Jonah. That's why you went into the boat, down into the boat and went to sleep. Because you've got a death wish. The word sleep there, when you study the word in depth, it has to do with death. Jonah got in that boat, running from God, twice as far away from God, to get away from God as far as he possibly could. He's going to move to another town. And he went down in the boat and he went to sleep. The word is connected to death. When he got down there in that boat, Jonah had a death wish. There's people who have death wishes today. Some of you have death wishes. That's what happens to you when you're running from God. You're no longer alive. It's a self-destructive pattern you find yourself in. And but for the grace of God intervening and stopping you in your pursuit of so-called freedom. But for the grace of God stepping in and pursuing you and keeping you from letting you get your way, you end up in total destruction. See, all these storms that are coming in into Texas and these other places, Florida, Puerto Rico, all of those places these storms are coming in, that's God saying, I'm bringing judgment on people who are running from Me. But remember this in the book of Jonah, as God was sending this storm, also in that storm, behind the storm, is God's willingness to forgive the person, willing to forgive Jonah, willing to forgive the Ninevites, if they would repent. But I'm going to tell you something, you can't run from God. God's got your number. 
Sin is man's effort to run away from God. The grace of God is God's pursuit of you. Some of you are running pretty fast. You're running pretty hard. And you want to give yourself the reason why you're in the condition you're in this morning. You can point a finger here and point a finger there. But ultimately, you know what it is. I know what it is in my life. If I'm not wanting to do what God wants me to do, I'm running from Him. And thankfully, He comes and pursues me and put roadblocks in my life. And He doesn't allow me to succeed. Somebody said amen. And so when we look at these chapters in chapter 5 and chapter 6, we see God showing. We're still in this realm. We're still in this world. We're in the realm of sin. We have changed. We have a new life in Jesus Christ. We're in right relationship with Him. We're standing in His presence. We've been ushered into His presence. It's calm. It's peaceful in the presence of God. It's peaceful and calm in the will of God. And there we stand saved. But then God says, that's true. But remember, until that final day, you're still in the realm where sin exists. You're still in the realm where tribulation is. Where pressures of life are. Where difficulty is. Where temptation is all around you. Trying to overthrow the grace of God in your life. Trying to take away that final justification where you stand before God finally, eternally in eternal bliss. Don't forget, says Paul, you're still living even though you've been transferred out of the realm of sin. You've been transferred out of the dominion and power of sin. You have The penalty of, of sin has been dealt with and the power of sin has been dealt with in your life. You've been transferred out of that realm. But remember, you're still surrounded by that. So he goes on and he talks about it. He talks about original sin. Beginning with verse 12 through 21. He gives us a comparison of original sin. He talks about that first Adam. And in contrast, he talks about the last Adam. And he, and he tells us something very interesting. He says... <clears throat> Paul says, I'm going to explain to you where original sin came from. Why is man in this condition that he's in? This condition of sin. How did he get in that condition of sin? Well, he talks about the first Adam. Now, when you go and, and you deal with this, you've got to read Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 3 and, and study the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. What caused the fall, what caused man to sin was his disobedience to the Word of God. He disobeyed God's Word. He revolted against divine authority and sin came into his life. And so Paul begins to explain. He says what Adam did affected the whole human race. 
Now, there are some heretics in church history that have taught that men just imitated Adam. Called imitation. Imitation means that man just imitates Adam in his sin, but there's no connection with the first Adam by individuals. We just imitate what Adam did. That's, that's heresy. According to the book of Romans in chapter 5, Paul says that Adam's fall affected you and I. It is true that we sin on our own, but it is also true that the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden affected all the human race. Imitation is a false doctrine. We're not just imitating Adam. The next one is called inclusion. Inclusion. This is more accurate. This is just a theological term. Inclusion means that we were included in Adam in this sense. It's sort of like when you vote for a senator and they go to Washington and they represent you and when they cast a vote, they're casting a vote on your behalf. So their vote affects you because they are the representative of you. So when Adam sinned against God, he affected you and I because he was our, by God, God's appointed representative. God appointed him as the representative of the human race. Some people call it that he is the federal head of the human race. So that because he's the representative of the human race, when he sinned, the word is inclusion. That included the rest of us. Something happened to Adam when he fell in the garden and sinned against God that changed the human nature. Something fundamentally changed in his human nature when he sinned against God. We know that that is another, a sin nature entered into him. It fundamentally changed him as a human being because he sinned against God. His nature wasn't the same anymore. He had a sinful nature living on the inside of him. And so everybody that was born to Adam after the fall is included in Adam's fall because we got that nature that was changed in him inside of us. It's called the sin nature. That's called inclusion. I believe that one. Also influence. Influence. Adam... Not only are we included in his decision, but there's an influence. And that influence comes in the realm of sin and that sin nature. We're influenced. We, today, if you, if you do, every one of you have a sin nature, that means today you're still influenced by that sin nature. Even though you've got a brand new nature, you have the influence of that realm called sin. And so, man, unsaved man, natural man, has one nature. And that's a sin nature. He's fallen. And Paul explains it. He says, it came on us that way through one man. 
One man's disobedience brought sin on the whole human race. But then he talks about another man who is now a new federal head, a new representative that you can get in him. And if you get in him and get out of Adam, you're completely moving out of the realm of Adam into a totally new realm of life and living. Out of the realm of sin and death to the realm of righteousness and life. And that new federal head is Jesus Christ. So that what He did for you on that cross, He represented you and I when He died on that cross. And then you, in turn, were buried with Him in baptism. You came up out of that water. You received His Spirit to walk in newness of life. So now along that old nature, you've got a new nature that's living inside of you. It's the new nature of Jesus Christ. And what was lost in Adam has been restored much more in Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul, when you read the verses, is saying. What Jesus did for you, He restored what was lost in Adam. And in fact, much more than what Adam lost has been given to you. So let me explain to you what he's talking about there. He's saying, at your conversion, you got a brand new nature, and that new nature came and lived inside of that old, beside that old nature. So now, instead of just being the old man with one nature called sin, now you're a new man having received the Spirit of God and been baptized in water in His name, you've got a new nature and that new nature is living side by side with the old nature. And in this new life that God has given you, this new nature He's given you, it's abundant life. It's righteousness. It's justification. But Paul wants you to understand they're not equal. See, here's, here's the way some people... Think about their conversion. And that is, okay, I was a fallen man. I was living in sin. I was dead because of what Adam did. Sin came, and as a result of sin, death came. And then I sinned on my own. So because of what Adam did and what I've done, I'm a sinner. And because of sin, death. And now I get born again. And I'm taken out of the realm of sin and death and put into a new realm, a new kingdom with a new head, Jesus Christ, a new representative. He comes and lives inside of me. And some people's concept is as those two natures, the old nature and the new nature live side by side, they're equal. It's like a dog fight. Yeah, I'm a born-again believer, but I'm always going to be struggling with sin. I'm always going to be struggling to do what's right. Just struggle, struggle, struggle because that old nature's in me and sometime the new nature's going to win and sometime the old nature's going to win. And it's just a constant battle because the way they look at it now is that they're equal. See, before when they were just the old man, 
with no new nature, they couldn't do what was right. They couldn't stop from sinning. And now they got a new nature, but they look at it wrong because, yes, I do believe the old nature and the new nature is in us, but it's not equal. That means that it's not like going to be a give and a take, you know. Sometimes the old wins, sometimes the new wins. What a, what a despairing, discouraging Christian life that would be is if, you know, they're equal. The new nature's equal with the old nature and the old nature's equal with the new nature. And, you know, sometimes the old gets the best of the new and the new gets the best of the old. And it's just a constant struggle as to who's going to win today and, you know. And that's some people's concept of Christianity. It's just a constant struggle. Sometimes that old nature is going to win. and Sometimes it's not. But that's not what God's Word teaches in Romans chapter 5. You have an old nature in you, a sin nature, yes, and there will be a struggle. But that new nature in you is much more greater and powerful than that old nature. You don't have to live with the penalty of sin or the power of sin controlling you anymore. Every day you can live victorious as you live for the Lord. Every day you and I have the ability to say no to sin. No to that old sin nature. Every day. Because of God, because of the new head that I have, and because of the new nature He's put inside of me, being much more than what Adam was. Paul is saying, you can be victorious over that old sin nature every every time. It's not going to be a give and take, and sometimes the old nature win, and sometimes the new nature win. No, you can be victorious over that sin nature every time you choose to serve God. It doesn't take the struggle away. Justification doesn't eradicate that old sin nature. You still got it inside of you. So do I. It doesn't eradicate it. There's going to be some struggle. But it's not like sometimes the old win, sometimes the new win. Not in God. You can win every time. Every time. You do need to, be, you do need to understand though. That you still have a sin nature. But you can be victorious every time. See, there's some people who teach that once you and I got the new nature inside of us, the old nature was completely eradicated. One guy wrote a book about that. <clears throat> he took that position. And he says, well, since I became a Christian, ever since I became a Christian, I can go to the beach and there'll be women scantily clad all around me and he says, I never think wrong about them anymore. <laughs> and one theologian said this, he lost me there. <laughs> Amen? So some of you, you know, people out there think that your sin nature has been eradicated. You lost me there. What I'm saying is that sin nature is still inside of you. It's still inside of me. It hasn't been eradicated. I know that when I go to the beach. Say amen. 
But God gives you the grace and the power to live the Christian life. And it is a lie that you and I have to sin a little bit here and there. It is a lie to say, I'm just overpowered by that. I, don't, I didn't have control. That is a lie from hell. Because God gives you and I more than enough to be victorious. We have a brand new head, Jesus Christ. He is our federal representative. Hallelujah. And so, every day we can choose to walk in the Spirit. The temptation is going to be there. The realm of sin is going to be there. But you know there's another term we need to use. It's called influence. Now that I have a new head, a new nature in me, I'm under a new Lord. I have a new influence. And that new influence is stronger than my old influence. My desires, my de the desires I have today are stronger to live for Him than my desires are to live in the old headship of Adam. My desires today have changed. I want to serve Him. I want to live for Him. Hallelujah. I want to be a Christian because He is my Lord and because He's my head and my Lord. He's influencing me today. Greater than the old Adam is influencing me today. And here's the best thing you can do for yourself. Knowing that that old nature has not been eradicated out of your life. The best thing you can do is get as far away from that old life as you possibly can. And walk in the new realm of God and His kingdom and His Spirit. And yes, you will hear the old Adam crying for you to come back. You'll hear the voice of Satan come back over on this side of the fence. But you just say, no, I've got an, I'm in a new realm. I'm in a new kingdom. I have a new Lord. I have a new influence today in my life. And I'm going to walk with Him. And I'm going to move as far away from you as I can. And the further I move away from you, the stronger I will be. I don't want to give Miss uh, credit for the, to the wrong person, but I think it was Lloyd-Jones that put it this way. He said it's like this. It says there's a fence. And you used to be on one side of that fence under the control of Satan. That old Adamic nature, that fallen nature controlled your life. You lived in the realm of sin and unrighteousness and ungodliness following the, the dictates of Satan. And then all of a sudden, Jesus by His grace reaches over that fence, pulls you out of that realm of influence and puts you into another realm, another kingdom, a different influence. And you're now in this kingdom, and you're happy, and you're filled with the Spirit, and you're saved, and you're living for God. But you hear the voice on the other side of the fence that says, come back over here. You hear Satan's voice. Come back to me. And the further you get away from that wall, the harder it is for the devil to get you back. It's harder for you to yield to that old way of living because you don't live like that anymore because you're too far away from the fence. That's how you handle it. You still know the realm of sin is around you. 
You still hear the voice crying out for you. But you know because you're a born again believer, greater is He that's in you than He that is in this world. And I can be victorious over the voice of Satan and over the voice of my own fallen nature. And that's what God says in His Word. It has to do with a new headship, a new realm, a new influence, a new Lord. But how, how did you get out of that old kingdom of darkness? How did you get out of that old realm of Satan and that old sin nature? You remember you tried to do good and you couldn't do it? You tried to stop from doing bad and you, you just, just couldn't stop? You know how you did it? According to the Word of God. When you got water baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, that's what brought you out of the old Adam and put you into the new Adam. If you're not baptized in water in the name of Jesus and filled with the Holy Ghost, you're not in the new Adam. Or I should say the last Adam. You're still in the first Adam. And now because you're a born again believer, whereas before, as a fallen man, it was impossible for you not to sin. When you become born again believer, it's possible for you to sin. But it's possible for you not to sin. And then when you get glorified in heaven, it will be impossible for you to sin. Yeah, amen. Yes. So we're sort of in the in-between right now. Right. Where it's possible for us to sin. But it's also possible for us not to sin. But before I got converted, you remember the struggle you had? Trying to do what was right? You couldn't do it because you were a fall. And that's what Paul is explaining here. How did sin come into the world? How did death come into the world? And Paul explains it. It started with Adam. And because of Adam's sin and because of your own sin, it bring death to you. You're in that realm. But much more. You find so much more in Jesus Christ. You don't have to walk through life always with your head hanging down. Always defeated all the time. Every time you come to church, oh, I feel sorry for myself because I, you know, because sin's dominating my life right now. And I know I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to sit here and feel sorry for myself. No, God said, I gave you everything you need to be victorious in your life. And if you're not victorious, it's because you're listening to voices from the old realm. Now, brothers and sisters, you're all going to make your own decisions. Yes, you will. You can point a finger and you can say, well, he tried to control me or they tried to control me. You Point the finger all you want. Be stupid all you want. Because every one of you today came by the decision that you made. And, and if you leave this church, it'll be a decision that you made. And some of you are headed out the door. And I've seen some people, I've, I've watched them from about two years, and I knew they were headed out the door. You might not have known that, but I did. And I did everything I possibly could to keep them from running. And I wasn't successful, but I knew it years ago it was coming. The Holy Ghost revealed it to me years ago. And I'm telling you, somebody's here today right now, you're about that close from running out the door. I can't stop you. 
I can't control you. You can't even control yourself. Everybody here's got it. You got to make up your mind. Which kingdom, which realm, which influence are you going to give yourself to? Hallelujah. You can play games with the preacher all you want to. You can play games when you come to church all you want to. But in the end, the truth's going to come out. What realm you're a part of. Say hallelujah. Say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is saying today, you can't use excuse no more. I can't use excuse no more. I can't say, well, I got a sin nature. If God would just eradicate it from me, then I'd be, you know, I'd be a different man. He didn't eradicate it from you. But He gave you much more than you lost in Adam. I preached it last, last Sunday night. Why are some people victorious and others aren't? They go through the same thing that somebody else does. Same thing. And one person stays on fire and the other person backslides. Why is that? It's about faith. It's about deciding what realm you're going to be a part of. You're going to go, you're going to go on the run? Or are you going to let the grace of God pursue you? God, pursue you. Chase you down. Give your life to Him. Submit to Him. Let Him take control. Let Him live His life through you and be victorious. Say praise the Lord. And that's what God promised you here. But He wants you to know that in the place of death and sin, we have righteousness, right standing, and peace with God. Right now, we have life. And as long as we live in that realm, in that final judgment day, we'll be alright. We'll be saved in that final day as long as we live in that realm. And we live victorious over sin. And yes, the temptation is going to be there. The tribulation is going to be there. Even though we're in another realm, that, that realm is still, other realm is still around us. So be alert. Be alert. Because even though you've been made right with God, judicially, right standing with God, there's another word that you have to pay attention to. That's called sanctification. It's the way you live after you get justified. It's, it's what realm is influencing you. Amen? Nobody here can say that you're sinless. Nobody. Nobody. And some of you have had thoughts this morning of murder. And you haven't been in a church over an hour. Well, maybe a little over an hour. I mean, we could go down the list. Murder. We better not go down the list, said we? <laughs> we, we, we? Yeah, we better not. Amen. But I'm still in the realm of the kingdom of God. And I thank God for His Spirit that it's still inside of me. And I got a new nature. And if I sin against Him, conviction comes. And he talks to me. 
and it keeps working in your life and keeps working in your life and keeps striving with you, striving with you, striving with you, trying to get you off the back pew. That's spiritually speaking, Sister Erica. Amen. And I said, I don't like sitting in the front because when it blows up, man. <laughs> well, you know, it's probably better if you're sitting on the front row and it blows up. That way you just get disintegrated. You know, it's just instant. You don't feel the pain. The further you are away from the explosion up here, you know, you might lose an arm or a leg and you still... You got to go through the pain, you know. I'd just rather just give me, just put me right in the fire, man. When the bomb goes off, just, just disintegrate me. Hallelujah. I don't want to feel a thing. Amen. So when you have time, read it. It's there in Romans chapter 5. So God is promising you security in God as far as eternity is concerned. But you have to understand He's done everything He possibly can for you and I. It all depends on you. I-A was it all depends on you. I-A-D-O-U That's an old military term. It all depends on you when it comes to sanctification. What you're going to do with it? You're going to be AWOL absent without leave in the kingdom of God. A wall. Are you going to be living for the Lord? And you're going to be serving Him. And you're not going to come up with excuses. Because that don't work. And you can't run from God. And I can't run from God. I don't want to run from Him, brother. I don't want to run from Him. I don't want people throwing me off a boat. I don't want a storm to come and hit me and waves to see. And I don't get swallowed by fish. I don't want a fish spitting me up on the on the shore with seaweed all over my face and my, my skin bleached from the acids of the of the fish's stomach. Amen. And he finally started preaching. And he started finally started preaching. The Ninevites repented, but God still had to deal with the prophet all the way through the end of the book. He was still in rebellion by the end of the book, running from God. I don't worry about people that are running from God. Because I'm not God. But I know one thing. God's got their number just like He's got my number. I told somebody the other day, I said, man, I've got to stay humble, you know. And I'm not doing a great job of it, but I do recognize the need, you know. That i got to stay humble. And this guy looked at me and I said, you know Why? I said, because he knows how to spank my behind. If I don't stay humble, man, he's going to spank me really hard. He knows how to do it. Amen. Say praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Woo, hallelujah, hallelujah. So when we come to chapter 6 then, Paul, Paul talks to us about this. He says, yeah, you know, based on what he said in Romans chapter 5, there's security. But there's tribulation. And there's salvation now, justification now, but salvation in the future. 
And you're going to go through some things, but you're in a new realm of influence. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, based on other scripture. And understand it. But there's something that can derail that security. And it's called sin. Yes, you're justified judicially, right standing with God. And you have a promise of future justification. But if you let the realm of sin begin to control your life, you'll lose it all. He talks about sin and then he'll talk about the law. Those two things can step in and derail the whole train. Y'all okay? Y'all should be happy, not sad. You know, it's not a funeral. So Romans 6, look at what he says. Well, I better go back to verse 21 so you don't think I've left the Bible. 521, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Unto. We're not there yet. We're justified now. We're not there yet. So let grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. That means do not live in sin. Paul is saying don't live in sin. You've died to sin. You've died to that nature. It's still in you, but you're dead to it. Say praise the Lord. So he goes on. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Yeah. This idea, Paul's saying, that you know, the more we sin, the more grace grows. Paul's saying that's not true. That's not the doctrine you want to get into where... Well, the more I sin, just that just magnifies the grace of God. It just causes the grace of God to grow in my life. Because of the sin. The more sin I have, so the more grace. Paul said, you stay away from that doctrine. That doctrine that teaches that you and I can continue in sin and not derail the train. You stay away from that. God forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Look at your name and say, I'm dead to sin. I'm dead. How did that happen? We'll explain it. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. There it is. We came out of that old realm of Adam and Satan's dominion when we were baptized in water. We're dead to sin. You can live victorious over that. Sin nature. Know you not that so many of us as, as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. When you talk about justification by faith, what does Paul talk about? He says this is the way, this is when you got justified by faith. It's when you were water baptized. Water baptism was a response to true faith. 
wasn't a work of the law. It's when you had faith in what Jesus Christ did and we showed you in the Word of God or somebody showed it to you you need to be baptize in one in the name of Jesus. You said, oh yeah, the Lord died for me. I'll be baptized in His name. Baptism is a response of the faith that justifies you. And that's what puts you into Christ. That, that's what puts you into the kingdom of God. That's what puts you in the new realm. Water baptism. Amen. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. This refutes lawlessness. This refutes the doctrine of antinomianism which says you and I can sin and live in sin and still be saved. No. You're supposed to be living. You're not supposed to be in the realm of death. You're supposed to be living. You're supposed to be moving in eternal life. You're supposed to be operating in the realm of righteousness and justification. Sin is not supposed to be your Lord. It's not supposed to be the one that's in, in, in control of your life. That's what Paul is saying. If sin is in control of your life, if that old nature is in control of your life, you've derailed the train. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we should be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that our body, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once. Wow, He died unto sin? Jesus died unto sin? The Bible says Jesus died unto sin? And you and I have died to sin? How did Jesus die from die? Unto sin. How did Jesus die unto sin? You and I have a sin nature. Did Jesus Christ ever sin? Then how could He die to sin? He never sinned. He didn't have a sin nature. He was the virgin born Son of God. How did He die to sin? Die unto sin. When He went to the cross, He was in the realm of sin. He was surrounded by it. He was in the realm of sin. He died for sin on the cross. That's how He died in the sin. He defeated it on the cross. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He liveth, He liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't let it be the one that is your Lord, your King, the one that's influencing your life the most. It should be dead. It's not eradicated. But the new life of Jesus Christ in you gives you the victory over that old realm. As Jesus died unto sin on the cross, and when He died on the cross, He represented you, and when He died, you died. 
when he died, I died. And I identified with his death, burial, and resurrection when I was baptized in water and filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. You understand, don't you? Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. We'll get into that. We'll explain that more as we go. What then shall we sin? Because we're not under law, but under grace, God forbid. And that has to do with condemnation of the law. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, His servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. What did I tell you before about sin? Sin is man running from God, saying, I want my freedom. I don't want anybody telling me what to do, how to do it. I want to be free to do what I want to do. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to serve your God because when I serve your God, i got to give up my freedom. And Paul addresses that. He talks about service. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin but you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. See, when you were out running from God in sin and claiming and telling everybody, I'm a free man. I'm a free woman. You know? Paul saying, no, you weren't free. You were a slave. You were a slave. You were a slave to sin. Somebody, Paul is saying, everybody's serving somebody. Everybody is a slave to somebody. When you're running from God to try to get your freedom, Paul is saying you're going the wrong direction. You're getting further away instead of closer. You're going to have more trouble instead of less. Because you're not really free. Like you claim. You are. Like I said before, so many people today, they'll get up and they'll move to another city. They'll move to another state, you know. Hey, let's just, let's just catch a plane. Let's all fly to New York. Why? Because I'm just, I just gotta get away from it all. I gotta get away from my family. I gotta get away from that church. I gotta get away from a church. I gotta get away from a man. No, we know what you're about. It's all about you running from the will of God. That young person says, I want my freedom. I'm tired of daddy telling me what to do all the time. No, you're just casting off restraint. Really, what you're doing is you're running from God. There are people running from God all the time. Running from God all the time. And it's sad. It really is sad. As a pastor, I sit back and I, I don't sit back, man. I stand up and preach to you. And I watch it. 
I'll watch it. In some cases, in very literal ways, they'll be up and running out the door. I'll be preaching the Word of God. Boom, they're out the door. Come back. Boom, run out the door. Come back. Boom, run out the door. Come back. Boom, run out the door. Constantly. What's happening is the Word of God's hitting them. It's like a deer. You know, he's running through the forest, man, and the hunter shoots him, hits that deer, and as soon as he hits that deer, they go, that deer goes, boom! Jumps way over here, takes off, man. And runs a little while, falls down, and then you find him dead on the ground, a blood out. But man, that bullet hits him, boom, jump up, and they take off. I've been doing this. I'm not a novice, man. I've been doing this for a while. I've seen people do that. As soon as the Word of God starts dealing with them. Boom. Just don't know what to do with themselves. Just out the door. And then when you confront them about it, they for sure out the door. And I'm not the kind of man, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your position is. I don't care who you are. I'm not the kind of man, when you keep doing that, that's not going to say something to you eventually. And when, when I do, you're not going to like it, some of it, and you're going to be gone. Because I don't care who you are. I'll be merciful, and I'll be gracious, and I'll stretch forth my hand to you until you bite my hand off and I'm bleeding. But at some point, you keep doing that, I'm done. I will confront you. But the interesting thing is, oftentimes when that happens, it's not the kind of confrontation you think. It's basically a questioning about what you're doing. And then when that question comes, they normally make the decision for me. I don't even have to make the decision. And then here it goes. Here it goes. Here the text messages come. No, you've been hit by the Word of God. And you're running. And I still love you. I still love you. But God's got your number. Because He knows. I can stand up here, man. I can make all kinds of excuses. Amen? Justify all day long. You hear? All day long. But really, really all comes down to is am I running from God? Or am I staying in His will? I love you. I'm not mad at anybody. But I'm just telling you. I told somebody on the phone not long ago. I said, I'm fixing to have to deal with a situation right now. And I said, it's going to shock you when I do. There's one thing that you'll never do. And that is use witchcraft on me. Yes, sir. Amen. 
You can fold your arms. You can bow your head. You can look on the floor all you want. You can look up in the sky and ignore what I'm saying. But you're not ignoring a man. The Holy Ghost said this. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me. You're not rejecting a man. You're not rejecting a man. If I, if this, if, as I as a man and preacher preach this Word of God to you, and that's all I preach to you is the Word of God, and you get offended by that and you leave, and you refuse to be accountable, and you rebel, which means you revolt against divine authority and human authority, and you refuse to obey and you leave, it's not my fault, that's your fault. I'll do everything I can to try to keep you from doing it. I am not going to be brought under your spell, any of you. So you just get ready. Just get ready. If you want that kind of church, you want that kind of war and that kind of battle, I'm standing my ground. I don't care who you are. Want to butt heads? Okay. Play the game. Playing the game. You understand? I'm not mad at you. I'm just telling you the reality. You need a reality check. I have responsibility, don't you? I have responsibility. I know what comes with the, with the territory. When God called me, I know. Right? If I sit around and I play with you in rebellion and sin, and I kind of just overlook it and condone it and don't ever preach and don't ever deal with your life, you know, and, and if I approach it like that, can I tell you something the Holy Ghost told me when I first started the church? He said, don't ever do that. He said, because you won't have anything anyway. They won't be real. See, if I'm always walking around on eggshells, you know, where are you going to leave me? If I have to correct you and discipline you, we're dealing with sanctification here. We're dealing with sin. If I'm always worried about, well, I can't say anything to them because they're going to leave. And I don't say anything to you because I'm worried about you leaving. You, I don't have anything anyway. So in grace and mercy, God tolerates us. That means He puts up with us. You know what I'm saying? How many know God puts up with us? In grace and mercy. But at some point, God says, that's it. We're drawing the line. Okay? Amen. So, I don't really care. You can be like this to me one day. Yes, sir. Okay? Right, Pastor. And then be distant to me the next. Right. I don't really care. But you better check your spirit. Because I'm not your God. You have to decide. You have to decide for yourself what realm you're going to live in. Are you going to be victorious? I, am, I have told you, church, I love all of you, and I'm just going to say this to you so you'll know. I've told you before, some of you don't believe me. I am not, I do not pastor in a 
as a partial man. I don't show partiality to nobody. I don't show favoritism to nobody. Nobody. Amen? And you know what I'll do? I'll just keep my mouth shut and I'll keep preaching the Word of God and I won't talk about them. I won't talk about all their issues. I won't talk about what they've done. I won't do any of that. I won't even try to lead you to think that there is something wrong with them. But I'll keep preaching the Word of God. We'll act like they're the good little saints and I'm the bad little preacher. And I ain't playing your game. Okay? So if you're already headed down that road in your mind, you might as well just check out. I'm not asking you to, but you might as well just go on down the road because that's where it's going to come. That's where it's heading. My responsibility is to stand before you and to preach the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. This whole thing can be derailed. Even your eternal life can be derailed. These people have this unconditionally eternal security are fools. They're fools. That's not in the Bible. I haven't made it yet, nor have you. I can derail my own eternal life by sin. My own security by sin. Every one of us. That's why I preach like I preach. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And hell is real. We're dwindling down. We're getting smaller. We're not getting bigger. People are making decisions. They've been making them a long time. Sometimes you have to deal with, be very careful with situations because other family members are involved. Because you don't want to hurt the other family members. But sometimes you just say, that's it. No more. No more. And it's totally needless. Totally, absolutely needless. I don't know if you and I know how strong that old sin nature is inside of us. But you and I can be victorious every day. If we choose to. Every day. Hallelujah. I know some of y'all don't like Donald Trump, which that's okay too. But maybe I just ought to start doing what he does. Just calling people names. <laughs> just, you know, not trying to be presidential. Just uncover all the fools out there. Lying on him. That's really what I do. I just ought to pull a Trump on you. You know how hard it is for me to keep my mouth shut on some of these situations? Because wisdom tells me to. I ought to go Trump on you. And say, oh, you see all them cameras back there? Bunch of liars. Fake news. Cussing at the audience. 
But I'd say, I can't do that. I'm a preacher. <laughs> then I'd be yielding to the wrong realm. Amen? I'll just keep my mouth shut and I'll just keep preaching the Word of God. People keep doing what they're doing. Keep being people. Hallelujah. You can believe what you want to believe. Who cares anymore? You believe what you want to believe. And you go on your happy little merry way as well. But I'm still going to be here. Okay? As long as I don't fall in total collapse, you know, the total immoral life, and as long as I'm doing some good here, if I ever stop doing good here and, and all I am is a liability to the work of God, then I'll have to go because of that. But I told my wife the other day, I said, you know, I said, I prayed to God, I've asked God, God, is there another place you would like me to go start a church? I've asked Him. And I said, God, I'd be willing to if you want me to. You know, I mean, but He has never released me. And I said, at this point, I'm 50 something years old. I feel like God has pretty much said, you're where you are. Okay? And He don't say this, come hell or high water. That's what I say. <laughs> but that's pretty much the way I get it. You know, come hell or high water, you're going to be there. All right? And, and barring, barring some kind of total collapse upon, you know, by my life or by my whatever, I'm going to be here. I really feel like they're going to have to carry me out of here in a casket. The rapture don't take place. Because I'd, I'd choose the rapture over the casket any day. But I mean, I'm pretty much here. Okay? Hallelujah. So, I really, personally, I really don't feel like I have a choice. I really don't. So I told Sister Christina, I said, hey, you know, we're here. She's, I said, if there was going to be a difference, if there's going to be a change, God is going to call me into a different ministry. I think He'd already done that a long time ago. Right, right. So I haven't heard any voices, any words, and I think He's pretty much said, you're stuck. <laughs> stuck. Want it or not. Okay. So for the few of you who hang around and hear the Word of God, then God bless you. The few that aren't, then God bless you too. But I'm here. As long as I can keep the lights on. And God is always, not one time, not one time, I don't know why I'm off on this, but not one time since we started the church over 20 years ago have we ever missed one bill. Not one time. When we had just two or three people in the church, Sister Sonia was one of the first ones. Then Brother Mark, ten years later. Maybe not quite ten. And ten of those years, he was sitting on the pew looking at me. But over twenty years, we not not one time did we ever miss paying a bill. Not one time. Amen? So as by the grace of God, I can keep it together. And by the grace, I can, grace of God, I can still pay the light bill. Then we're here. 
But don't be surprised someday if you come up here and and, and the, the lights are off and the lights are off. And the PA system don't work. You say, my goodness, what happened? Why are the lights aren't on? We didn't have no money to pay the bill. Why not? Because you didn't give any offering. <laughs> well, why do you tell us, Pastor? Because I'm not a beggar. I've never one time stood up and begged for money. One time. One time. I won't ever do it. Because I don't beg for money. In over 20 years, I've never begged for money. From time to time, I'd give you direction as to what God wanted us to do as a church. And every time, God brought that word to pass in and through you to pay. This thing completely off. There's no debt on it. I don't beg for money. And I don't believe God wants the lights to go off, but there's a human element in this too. You've got to want to keep them on. Say praise the Lord. I mean, you want to keep the doors open too, right? You don't want to keep the doors open. Then okay. What happened? I'm committed. If I got to go get a job, I'm committed. Why pastor get a job? Because he's not going to beg for money. I do whatever I got to do to keep doing the will of God, to keep doing the work of God. I mowed yards before, when we first started the church, but I ain't going to mow them again. <laughs> I ain't doing that. Amen. I'll go to Vegas and gamble before I do that. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'll let Melvis do that. She's got she's got prophetic vision. Hit me. She don't use that gift like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, man. Hallelujah. So, I mean, that's just the way I think. That's my mind. It's my mind. I'd love to have you go along with us. I really would. I'd love for you to be with us to the end. I really would. But if you don't, I'm going to do what i got to do to keep it going. And I'm, I've been there, been there, done that. So I'm not bragging. I'm just, I'm just telling you that's the way it is. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. How many of y'all love the Lord today? Yeah. God's good, huh? Fix your neighbor and say, it's going to be all right. Tell him it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Hallelujah. We can have candlelight services. Break out the fans. I'm not going to get one of them little old fans, though. I'm going to get a woman on either side of me with these big old fans. <laughs> I give them something to talk about, man. You know what I mean? They're looking for something to talk about, man. 
Pastor Carter. He's got these women fanning him. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> I love it, man. I'm going to put fuel on the fire. You start the fire, I'm going to throw fire fuel on it. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, man. I think, gee, that's probably the only one I let you put on the internet. <laughs> you know. That, that way there'll be no speculation. You, we just give them the proof right, right off, you know. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, man. Anyway, let's get back to the Scripture. <laughs> where are we at? We don't even know where we at, do we? Chapter 6. You know. So anyway, talking about service. People talk about freedom running. Running to find freedom. They're not finding freedom, brother. You never find freedom apart from Jesus Christ. Never. You never find peace apart from Jesus Christ. Never will. You or I never will. Only when we're walking with Him. We're living. We're serving Him. We're living in the realm that we should live. The way we should live. That's when peace comes to us. Don't let the enemy ever mess with your head. Say, man, they're taking your freedom away. They? Who's they? They? Who's they? When you signed up to be a Christian, when I signed up to be a Christian, I signed my rights away. I signed my freedom away. I'm free to serve Him. That's what I am. You know what you and I are? We're free to serve Jesus Christ. That's what we're, that's what we're free to do. We're free to be a slave. We're free to be a slave. And He's going to tell you what to do. His Word's going to tell you what to do. He's going to tell you how to live. That's just the way it is. But if you don't want that kind of life, then what you're saying, I want to be an atheist. There's practical atheists today. Theologically, practical atheists are people who say, I don't want to serve God. Somebody said amen. Praise the Lord. We need, we need some new blood in here anyway, don't we? Yeah, we need some new blood. Gonna win some souls, get some new blood. You tired of looking at the same old people all the time? Make you sick? You sick and tired of looking at them? Go get you some new blood, new faces, man. Hallelujah. That's the way you handle that. Why well, you don't keep looking at the same old face all the time, man? Get a new, new face, new blood. Man, I don't know. I, I, I just don't get it, man. I'm the nicest pastor in Odessa, Texas. I treat you so good. Treat you so nice. Hallelujah. You can go to another church. They don't treat you good. You stay there. I come here and I spoil you, treat you so good, and you leave. Don't make sense, does it? Somebody beats you and you stay. You got abusive wife syndrome. I, love, I just love him. That's why I stay with him. I just love him. 
And then you get a then you get a good husband and you want to run off and leave him. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. you want him to beat you all the time. He won't do that. Don't make no sense, does it, Bishop? Don't make no sense. They praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> amen, amen. You alright? You alright down there, man? Good, you alright. <laughs> good. Say praise the Lord. I I told old Tiny over there, I said, man, I said, don't go by sight when it comes to Jasmine. Oh, Jasmine, she's a little thin, skinny thing. I said, don't go by sight. She beat you up, boy. <laughs> and I found out, Jasmine, she's like a boxer, man. I found out. See, I had discernment. So you don't mess with her. She's going to beat you up, boy. I call you, boy, you're a man. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. God's good. All the time, huh? So we're a slave. We are a slave. You are a slave. But if somebody said, well, I don't want to serve your God because then I'd have to give up so much and I want my freedom. Then look at him and say, you're a slave. And I'm a slave. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And you're a slave to sin. You claim to be free, but you're running. God's grace blocked my way. I was thinking about you the other day. And you don't think there's anybody here for you. And I'm thinking, well, what about sister this and sister that and sister... You don't think there's nobody here? What, you blind or what, dude? <laughs> you know what I say? Good one. Keep talking like that. Hallelujah. Just keep saying, ain't nobody for me, mama. <laughs> well, you get to keep your freedom, dude. You know what I mean? That's a good one right there, man. That's a good one right there. It's a good one. <laughs> hey, well, no, but I got 50 women, man. Single women. Hey, well, nobody here for me. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. You know what I mean, man? <laughs> Praise the Lord. How many of y'all know you're a slave to something? Somebody. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I mean, I love my wife. You know, what are you laughing about? <laughs> you know, I love my wife. You know, but if I got to beat her to live with her, that doesn't work too good. You know, and I don't, I mean, so when you get married, you better make up your mind. You know, and I'm going to get married, but when I get married, I don't want to have to beat you to live with you. She beats me. <laughs> you don't believe that? You're right. You're right, man. You're right. 
No, we have a, we have a real we have a mutual agreement, mutual assured destruction, <laughs> mutual assured destruction. That's our agreement in marriage. That's the best one you can get. You get married, just have just sign an agreement, mutual assured destruction. And I'd go down, you going down too. <laughs> yeah, I've destroyed you, destroyed me. I'm destroying you too, man. Mutual assured destruction. That's the way it is in our marriage. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, don't look at me like that. <laughs> that's 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 y'all didn't sign the paper, but that's the way you live. Some of you live that way. Amen. Sister Christina, ask Sister Christina what our agreement is. You didn't know, Sister Christina, mutual assured destruction. <laughs> Well, I got way off Romans 6, didn't I? <laughs> you know what you want to do? You don't want to get this series. You want to go get the old series that I taught a long time ago because it's real theological, man. I mean, I didn't do any of this, you know. And it's about, I don't know, 10 or 15 volumes. Okay? So you get the good series, go get the old one. Don't get this new one. This new one, man, I'm really messed up. We're a slave. That's right. When I became a born again believer, Jesus Christ said, I am your Lord. He can ask of you anything He wants to. He can tell you how to dress. He can tell you how to talk. He can tell you how to live. Amen. He can request anything He wants to. He's required of me. He has required of me brand new houses that were paid for. He required them from me to be in the ministry. He told me to give them back. Give it back. I had a brand new house paid for. In order to be in the ministry, I had to travel to leave to another city to be in the ministry. And God told me to give that brand new house paid for. Give it back. And I did. God can ask you for anything and everything, anytime He wants to, and you've got to say yes to Him because He's your Lord. And Abraham, the, the example, the father of the faithful, God said, give me your son, your only son. And Abraham couldn't tell him no. Because Abraham knew who he served. Moses, Moses could have experienced the pleasures of Egypt in a moment of time. But you know what he chose? To suffer with the people of God. Believing that the riches of Christ were far greater riches than the riches he found Egypt. And the world will come and it will offer you all the pleasures of Egypt. And you got to make up your mind. I'll give it all up to serve Jesus Christ. <laughs> the pleasures of sin for a season or serve Jesus Christ. Egypt and all of its glory are suffer with the people of God.
And when you get with the people of God, you're going to suffer, man. You're going to suffer when you get with the people of God. That's just the way it is. He said, well, I don't want anything to do with that. That's the way it is when you serve Jesus Christ. I made up my mind. I'm here with you, man. I'm going to suffer with you. I'm going to suffer with you. Say praise God. You got to be willing to suffer with each other. You got to sit always looking for your freedom and, you know, some crazy thing, rainbow, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, man. It's not there. Got to make some decisions today. Who are you serving? You're a slave, brothers and sisters, to one or the other. I'm a slave to Jesus or I'm a slave to sin and Satan and myself. The majority of people, the reason why they won't be a Christian, they won't live for God, is because they don't want to give up their freedom. But the freedom they claim they're after is not a freedom at all. It only brings you into more destruction and bondage. Say amen. amen. Hallelujah. I, I got I to preach a long time this morning because I'm not preaching tonight. You'll have a good preacher tonight. <laughs> so, amen. Hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. Everybody say thank you, Jesus. Yeah, good. I mean, I agree. I agree. I agree. I'll get you a good preacher tonight. Hallelujah. <clears throat> expert. An expert. No, I can't claim he's an expert. I can't claim he's an expert preacher because you have to travel over 30 miles to be an expert. You do know that, right? You know what an expert is in any subject? Somebody that has to travel 30 miles before they speak. I'm just... That's just a... I mean, that's not a dictionary definition, but. Right? So I can't say the preacher that's going to preach tonight is an expert because he's not going to travel 30 miles. His house is probably closer than that. Okay? But I agree with you. Amen. Yes. Amen. I'm glad. I'm going to get you a good preacher tonight. Maybe the Holy Ghost will use him to slap you upside the head. I don't know. <laughs> David, all the precious little lambs. And then he does, I'll slap him on the side of the head. What you doing to my lambs? <laughs> if you do this, beating up on my sheep, boom, you know, slap him in the head. You're not supposed to be beating up on my sheep. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Obedience is required if you want to be saved. Rebellion is running from God. It's disobedience. It's refusing to obey the Lord. And you live that kind of life. You will be in hell. And so will I. There must be obedience in a justified life. I agree there is judicial righteousness, which means legal standing before God based on what Jesus Christ has done. But there's also moral righteousness. The righteousness 
that is required from God, from me and you, my responsibility, that is the proof or the evidence that I'm judicially right with God. Judicial righteousness and moral righteousness go together. And Paul's telling us if we're Christians, we should be yielding our members to serve God. Amen? It's moral righteousness. I mean, because he's been telling us that we're not saved by works, and all of a sudden he talks about obedience. Verse 16, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. Is it sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness? Unto righteousness. See, before, righteousness comes instantly by faith. Justification comes instantly by faith when you're born again. But now he talks about unto righteousness. That has to do with what you and I do. How we live for God. But God, be thanked that you were the servants of sin. You were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your member servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your member servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is what? Death. But now being made free from sin and become the servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So He's telling you, chapter 5 and chapter 6, you have a security in Jesus Christ. You've been justified, right standing with Him judicially based on what He did for you. It happened at the, at the conversion of your life, the new birth, baptism. So now He says, go on and live it. To live it. See, if you live it, live holy and righteous, you'll have eternal life. If you live unto sin, you'll have death. It is important the way that we live, brothers and sisters. What Paul is doing here, so you'll get it, is he's showing you something that can derail your justification. And that's the power of sin. But, he's already told you you have a new nature in you that's greater than that old nature of Adam and you can live and I can live this Christian life it can be done somebody say it can't be done it can be done I can live the Christian life hallelujah say amen even married I can live the Christian life that's hard to believe isn't it All right, Jared, you wait. You're laughing right now, buddy. I told him. I told him, man. He said, he always laughing. And then, yeah, you wait, dude. You wait. (laughs) 
It's crazy, you know, how people, I just can't, I just want to get married so bad, I can't wait to get married, you know, and then they get married, they say, I can't wait to get out of it. <laughs> I wish I was married. Uh, then they get married, I wish I wasn't married. Which is it, dude? What do you want? <laughs> well, either way, you're going to have to have God. That's for sure. Say praise the Lord. Some of y'all aren't married, you need to stop looking. You need to thank God, you're free free you, you do realize what it's all about don't you it's all about sex it's all, all it's about man it's all about. well I just want somebody to care for me well you don't have to get married to have somebody care for you I just want somebody to love me you don't have to get married for somebody to love you <laughs> yeah, I'm not stupid. <laughs> Sex is what got you married. Sex will keep you in the marriage. That's why you better have a lot of it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> yeah, brother. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, Jeremiah? That's my son back there. So I can't believe my daddy talks like this. <laughs> daddy starts talking like this. They want to go out the door, Victoria and Jeremiah, <laughs> get in the car. They tell me, Daddy, would you stop doing that? <laughs> stop doing that. That's all right. It's all right. Hallelujah. Love each and every one of you. May the Lord bless you real good. Will you stand? <clears throat> Love you. Like Brother Dyer said, may the Lord take a liking to you. <laughs> may the Lord takes a liking to you. Hallelujah. I mean, you going to stay in this, man? Suffer with the people of God? Yeah, I'm going to hold you to it.